All houses wherein men have lived and died are haunted houses. Through the open doors, the harmless phantoms on their errands glide with feet that make no sound upon the floors. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow Greetings, creeps, and welcome to Season 2 of This House is Haunted podcast. If you're new around here, welcome to my nightmare. In the days to come, I'll be telling my story of spending two and a half years living in a haunted house in southeastern Kentucky when I was a young girl. Due to the spooky nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised as I take you into a world filled with things that go bump in the night. I hadn't been sleeping much since the thing in the shadows had drawn first blood a couple of nights before. After the night I had been tormented in between sleep and awake, I had found it very difficult to sleep more than a few hours in the early evening. At night, I served the role of a silent sentinel, ever wary of any signs of the horned shadow that had gotten closer than ever before. I thought a lot about the white lady and felt myself wishing I had never shown Mem all the tiny bag we had found in the wall with her image. She had been a sort of protector, and without her presence, the house felt impossibly dark and lonely. I wanted so badly to share with someone, anyone, about what I had seen, but seeing the worry in my parents' face returning to etch dark rings under their eyes only made me more resolute that this was a burden I would have to carry alone. My parents had encouraged my sister and I to return to our room after the night I was scratched, thinking I had only been sleepwalking, which I was prone to do during bouts of stress and still do to this day. But I had bargained to get the brightest Mickey Mouse nightlight we could find in our local grocery store to keep me company. Those were some of the longest nights of my life. Sitting there, the covers gripped tightly in my hand, surveying the surroundings while my little sister slept beside me. The tiny TV in our bedroom would have certainly woken up not only my sister, but my parents who slept across the hall. So there was no late night rescuers movie marathons for me. I didn't feel comfortable enough to color or do something that would preoccupy my thoughts, as my sole reason for staying awake was to be ready for whatever fresh hell this house was sure to bring my way. Each night, as everyone else was sleeping, I was up and arranging my stuffed animals as a makeshift guard around me. I believed they could protect me, and my love for them instilled in them the ability to deter the thing in the shadows. My favorite of these was my beloved Bumble Lion, a character from a very short-lived Disney cartoon called The Wuzzles that I was obsessed with at the time. He was one of about 20 stuffed animals that I would position on the bed around my sister and I, and he was the one I held close as the whispering would inevitably start around 1 a.m. each night. I remember thinking that time always passed so slowly until 12.30, and then it seemed like things were fast-forwarded. The whispering was so faint that it almost seemed that someone had left on a radio turned down really low, except that my brother listened almost exclusively to headphones at night so as not to invoke Daddy's irritation overhearing that noise he called music. 
The fact that it traveled around the halls and through the house also dispelled any notion that it was just someone staying up late watching TV or listening to music. I would have much rather seen my brother making trips to and from his bedroom to the kitchen, but I only saw him occasionally shuffle to the bathroom, his eyes heavily lidded with sleep. As the night wore on, the whispers were often accompanied by various footsteps that creaked the wooden floors that were tucked under the ever-popular 80s vinyl laminate. The sounds were so muted that it never seemed to disturb those already sleeping. And if someone from my family did opt for a night trip to the bathroom, they would stop as suddenly as they started, only to resume minutes later when I was the only one still awake to hear them. I remember gripping my cover so tight to my chest that my fingers would ache with fatigue and make it difficult to grip my pencil at times during class. I would often close my eyes and count slowly to make sure I wasn't breathing too fast. I would wait for some terrible thing to show up, to stalk to the end of my bed and pull my legs out from under the covers and into the shadows that filled the house. But each night, I would sit, wide awake and listen to the symphony of the house, with no further assault upon my physical form. It was maddening to know that something was watching me, testing me and I was helpless against it. I lived for the weekends when I could sneak in naps during the day, often with my dad in the living room on the couch that was near the large bay window. Spring was blooming in the holler, and the dappled sunlight that danced through the glass made me feel warm and safe while cozied up with my daddy. Spring meant more time outside as well although Mama still wasn't comfortable enough for my sister and I to go off exploring too far up the mountain. We spent many afternoons playing in the orchard, climbing trees, having makeshift sword fights, and just engaging in general frivolity that didn't come as naturally to me since moving into the house. My sister was sporting a new scar about an inch long on the front of her forehead these days after the push but as she felt trepidation about roughhousing, she never showed it. Everything felt lighter when we were outside as long as we'd steer clear of the shed and the barn. It was on those days I dreamed about moving to some place where it would feel like home all the time and not just when I was away from the house. It was a rainy weekend sometime around April when I saw the thing again. My sister, dad, and myself were all in the living room watching something on the TV while cuddled up together on the couch. My dad, tired from putting up electric fence posts to accommodate a herd of goats he was hoping to bring home soon, was snoring quietly, his mouth hanging open in a silent O oh of a very good nap. My sister was curled up on the floor, a nest of pillows and blankets swaddled around her as she fell asleep, crayon still in hand. I was sitting with Bumbleline tucked firmly into the crook of my arm, a soft quilt that my mamma had made wrapped around both Daddy and myself. Between his soft breathing and the melodic sound of the rain, it wasn't long before I joined them in the land of dreams. Thunder rolled quietly, and in my dreams, I was stomping through mud puddles, laughing about the great bullfrog that had leapt up from its depths so suddenly that my sister had fallen back into another puddle and got soaked from her toes to her neck. 
We were surrounded by flowers, and even though it was raining, the sun was peeking through the clouds and creating a picture-perfect day for playing outside. Just as I was helping my dream sister rise, I was jolted from my revelry by the feeling of something cold touching my cheek. My eyes jolted open, but I was still confused that I was no longer outside playing in the sun and the rain of my dreams. The room was cold, almost impossibly so considering it had been in the 70s outside that day. It couldn't be much later than 3 p.m., so it was nowhere near sunset yet this time of the year. My body was stiff with fear and anticipation, but instead of jumping up, it felt as if I were being held in place. My eyes widened even further and I attempted to turn my head but found that I could not. Panic was making my throat constrict and I found that I couldn't speak out. As I laid there, vulnerable and scared, I watched as a pale, long-fingered hand crawled across the top of the couch. Long nails pressed into the soft fabric as another hand was pressing in a similar fashion just a few inches down. The hands appeared vaguely out of focus and blurry around the edges, and when I looked to see if there was anything attached to them, I saw nothing but the large bay window with its view of the trees just outside. My breath was coming in deep, labored gasps as fear enveloped every cell in my body. Why couldn't I move? What was happening? I attempted once again to sit up, but could only move my eyes. I watched with absolute terror as the hands, with their impossibly long fingers, moved closer to me, pressing their way down the couch. The closer they came, the colder I felt, and it was here that I squeezed my eyes tightly shut. I knew it was touching my face because it felt like a portion of my cheek had an ice cube held tightly against it. Tears leaked from the corners of my eyes as the cold sensation traveled from my cheek, across the bridge of my nose, and then up across my forehead. My heart felt like a hammer in my chest, and I wished with all my might that I could get up and run from this room. My breath was coming quickly now, so quickly, that I saw bursts of white light in the corners of my closed eyes. I kept my eyes tightly shut, my brain unable to fathom seeing that hand pressing against my face, when I could not move to escape it. When a long strand of my blonde hair was pulled from behind my ear, the fear of that jolted my body into motion and I found my voice and screamed with all the fear that had been consuming me since first opening my eyes. My daddy's response was immediate as he sat up and pulled my quaking form to him. The feeling of the cold evaporated as soon as my voice returned, but I could not convince myself to open my eyes. I held them tightly shut, my body no longer bound by whatever had been touching me, reacting now with such fever that I struck out at the air with my tiny closed fists and kicked my feet into the air as if fending off my assailant. I was so consumed by fear that it took several seconds before I realized it was my daddy holding me. Teeny, honey, calm down. It was just a bad dream. You're safe. You're home. Open your eyes, honey. It's okay. Daddy pulled me close to him as he spoke, rocking me much like he and Mama had done since I was born. 
The comfort of his firm grip and the reassuring words were enough for me to allow my eyes to open. And it was then that a great sob burst forth and hot, salty tears ran freely down my cheeks. I cried like this for what felt like several minutes, curled up in my daddy's warm embrace. My sister was awake now and sitting beside me, holding my hand as daddy continued to rock me. She didn't speak, but her presence was a great comfort to me. My young mind struggled to come to terms with what had happened. What I knew was not a dream, and wanting to tell my family that something had held me down in my sleep and touched my face, that I had seen disembodied hands with impossibly long fingers gripping the couch, that I had been helpless to call to them or wake them. But the memory of my family's worry and doubt over my previous claims held my tongue. I was alone in this. There was only one person who I could talk to about the thing in the shadows, and she was currently fighting for her life. I had to protect her. I had to protect everyone. I took a deep, steadying breath and wiped the tears from my face with my sleeve before looking up at Daddy. His brow was now deeply furrowed, and his eyes held no small degree of concern. My throat still felt tight from crying, but I knew I needed to say something to assure him. I had a bad dream, I said quietly, no longer looking into his eyes. It was so much harder to tell him something I knew was not true when I was looking directly into his eyes. I could tell as much. Seemed like you were in the fight for your life. Here, I looked up and into his eyes and said, It was... I was so cold. He leaned down to kiss my cheek and his eyes widened. Well, no wonder you're having trouble sleeping, Tina. You're absolutely freezing. He pulled the quilt up from the floor as it had been tossed there when I had been flailing around and wrapped it tightly around me. It is awfully cold in here. He looked out the window. But it looks pretty sunny out there still. It was supposed to stay in the 70s. I'll have to check that window to make sure there's not a draft or something that we don't know about. I didn't reply and only nestled in closer. When he went to stand, I held his hand tightly and said, Five more minutes? He smiled and said, Anything for you, teeny. My sister, sensing that things were getting back to normal, said, I had a bad dream too, sissy. It was really dark in the house, and then I heard all this whispering and kept looking for you, but what felt like forever, and then I found you in the playroom. I know you don't like that place, so that was weird, but you you weren't alone. There was something tall and real shadowy standing behind you. You were awake, but seemed like you were asleep because you didn't say anything to me. I yelled for you a bunch of times to run away, that there was a monster behind you, but you just kept standing there. It had a big old claw-looking hand, and it kept fading in and out behind you, and when I woke up and heard you screaming, and here Daddy hushed her and said, Shh, all right now, let's not go getting stirred up all over again. Dreams can't hurt us girls. Sometimes our minds run away when we're sleeping. Here he pulled us both in for a bear hug. What you girls really need to be worrying about is what you're going to name all them goats we got coming in next week. 
I got one name, my sister said, happy for the distraction. Nanny. Daddy chuckled and said, That's a mighty fine name for a goat, Molly. Any others? As they continued to talk about various names, I continued to sit stock still, not really hearing anything that they were saying. All I could think about was my sister's voice recounting her dream. A dream that held details about the thing in the shadows I had never shared with her, never shared with anybody. A dream that was eerily similar to experiences I had since moving into the house. A dream that scared me not only for myself, but for my little sister who I had hoped would be able to remain a bystander in this nightmare I was living. When my daddy stood, I was startled at first, not having noticed that this conversation with Molly had ended. You coming, Teeny? We're going to go walk the fence line to make sure we got everything squared away before we pick up the goats next week. Not wanting to be alone in the house, I stood and walked outside with them. As I went through the motions of walking and looking at the fence, I came to a conclusion that I needed to talk to someone few options. I resolved myself to go with Mama the next time she went to spend a couple days with Mama. One, because I wanted to get away from this daggone house. And two, she was the only person in the world who didn't look at me like I was one card shy of a full deck. The thought of talking to Mama soothed me, and when it was time to go back inside, I hesitated for only a few seconds before walking in with the hope and Mama would be able to tell me what I should do. This house, with its whispers and visions, seemed to inhale as I entered, ready to swallow up every trace of fear and doubt to feed its greedy heart. Well, hello there, creeps. I hope you're enjoying your time with me in the hills and hollers of eastern Kentucky. If you enjoy the show, please remember to like and most importantly subscribe as that helps the podcast grow. I also created a Patreon for the podcast last week for anyone who wants to support the show. Send a few dollars my way and get some cool perks while doing it. I'm a one-woman show, so any support, like, share, and review makes my little heart smile. It would also mean a lot if you would take the time to give me a rating on whatever streaming service you're using to help bring new listeners to the pod. You can also find This House is Haunted podcast on Facebook and Instagram for updates and photos, as well as Patreon for exclusive content. Until we meet again, keep it creepy, and don't go chasing any voices you hear in the night. Thank you.